We've come to the third principle in our one month to live challenge, and it's probably the most difficult at all. And this third principle is to learn humbly. It's something that's difficult for us to do. But people who've come to the end of their lives, um, they have this new ability um, to understand the brevity of life, and all of a sudden they lose pride. They, many times people who are violently ill, they, they have no more pride because someone has to take care of them. Someone has to do everything for them. And they, they discover this principle of it's okay to be humble and let someone else do something for you for a while. And they actually, kind of by accident, I think, discover a principle that comes from the Bible. And it actually comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. This is a very difficult passage. If you study 2 Corinthians, you, you come to this passage and it's hard to understand because Paul, who is a pioneer for Jesus, Paul, who's written half of the New Testament, he, he started more churches than anybody, and, and he um, wrote most of the New Testament, he has prayed and he, he has asked, God to remove something from him, something that was troubling him. It was, a, it was some type of difficulty that he was um, undergoing that he was powerless to overcome. He prayed three times and he begged God to, to remove it. And God says, no. And look what God says in this verse. God says to him, my grace is all you need. My power works best in what? Oh man, we don't like to hear that, do we? My power works best in weakness. So now, Paul says, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Now, how many of you have ever felt powerless to change something in your life? It, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, it does matter, but it doesn't matter whether this powerlessness is in your job or in a marriage or in some relationship with a family member. Sometimes, uh, you know, it could be any type of circumstance that we just feel powerless to overcome. And I'm going to tell you something. Powerlessness is a good place to be at times. Now, uh, turn up the, the lights if you would, Mike. Brought my motorcycle up here today. This is a Yamaha V-Star 650. Now, uh, a 650, that's not the, the largest bike on the market, but neither is it the smallest bike on the market. This 650, 650 cc's, it has all the power I need to take me where I want to go, right? Now, it's, it's kind of a medium motorcycle, but yeah, yeah, that's all right. Thanks, Charles. I appreciate that. <laughs> Charles is helping me out. He keeps me straight. Now, this can easily do 70 miles per hour on the highway, I've heard it'll go faster than that, but I wouldn't know because I, I, I can't break the law. And anyway, I've heard you can go faster than that, but it has all the power I need. But can you imagine if, if all I did was push this motorcycle around the loop? Now, I can imagine it because I've done it because I've run out of gas three times. See, when, when, I, when I got the motorcycle, um, the guy told me that the, the little gauge, because you have a regular reservoir for gas, and then you have a reserve. And he told me the way the thing was facing, that it was on the regular, but it wasn't. So it took me three times of running out of gas, calling Janie or calling Caleb or somebody to come fill me up with gas so I could get... Let me tell you, this thing weighs 500 pounds. Going downhill's a breeze. Going uphill sucks. I mean, I'm pushing, I'm breathing hard, but can you imagine if all I did was push this thing around Palestine? Imagine I show up yesterday at, at pa uh, Paint Palestine Pink. We were uh, going around, we were going to pick up the girls after the, their lock-in at the gymnastics thing, and uh, there's all these people walking around. Can you imagine? I come straining up there in my pink shirt, and, and I never start the engine. 
Now, there's some there's some pretty good hills on the loop. Those would be cool to go down. But can you imagine me pushing up the hill? And and so I imagine people would be going, dude, there's something wrong with that guy. And and you you know, if you saw a guy pushing this motorcycle day after day, you'd eventually figure it out, right? You're going, man, what's wrong with him? And then if you're around, you're going, have you seen that idiot on the loop pushing his motorcycle around? And some of y'all are, y'all are going to go, yeah, that idiot's my pastor. Um yeah, I've seen him. I know him. He's, he's a dork. All the power I need to take me where to go is right here in the engine. But if I never turn on the key, if I never start the engine, I'm not going to get where I need to go. We go through life like that, too. There's a verse I want you to see. Because all the power that is necessary to live life, not just to survive, but to thrive in life, is available to us. But there's only a certain set of people who ever get this power. Here it is in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for who? Us who believe Him. That means people who are in the family of God. Now, if you're a lost person, we want you to keep coming. We want to show you how you can come into the family of God. We love you and we started this church for you. But ultimately, we cannot give you the power of God. You have to accept that. It is only available to believers, those who follow Christ, who say, yes, I recognize Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Not only do I believe that, but I've given my heart to him. I've asked him to save me from my sins, forgive my sins, and be the leader the rest of my life. That's who Jesus says, or who Paul says in this verse, that's who the power is available to. Now look at this power. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. We have all the power we need to resurrect marriages. Um, several days ago, I was talking to uh, a husband and wife, and she said, it's over, and there is nothing anybody can do. And I said, I said, no, wait a minute. And this is somebody I've known for years. I said, you're telling me that your problems are too big for God. No, that's not what I said. I said, yes, it is. Because I started laying out all this scenario. Here's this, 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 this. Well, I hadn't done that, hadn't done that, and, you know, hadn't done this. Oh, then really you haven't given God an opportunity, right? And she finally goes, you're right. Because I said, what you're telling me is, and, and, and I, there are biblical instances for divorce. I'm not saying that. But in most cases, I've, I've said before that we, it's just because we no longer want to fight for something. And so the Bible says that we have all the power necessary to resurrect some marriages. Do you know some marriages that need to be resurrected? Do you know some relationships that need to be resurrected? All the power is available, but we don't tap into that power. So life is a lot like loop 256, right? There's, there's a lot of ups and downs, and there's a lot of places you're supposed to drive. There's a lot of places you're not supposed to drive. There are lanes designed for you. And there are places that you're not supposed to go. You go to those places on, in your car or on a motorcycle, you're going to do some damage. You may have some wrecks. Um, I've never been on a road that was completely smooth, completely flat, level, everything that lasted very long. I mean, yeah, we got the new loop over here. It's awesome. Until they got it done, man, there were some huge bumps on motorcycles. If you're not hanging on, you might go in a ditch. Now it's just smooth, but it's not going to be that way for very long, is it? Things are going to shift. There are ups and downs. There are joys. There are surprises. There are sorrows. And there are crashes. You're going to have crashes because according to Scripture, there's only one who lived a perfect life. He's seated at the right hand of God. You're going to have to turn the light back on over here. Wes, Mike. 
He's seated at the right hand of God, and his name is not your name, so there's only one who's perfect. You are going to have crashes in life. Now, in the motorcycle class, nowadays, you guys that have had motorcycle licenses for a long time, you didn't have to do this. Nowadays, you have to go through a class to get your motorcycle license. And what they do is they scare the devil out of you to try to get you to pay attention. Because if y'all, ha- if y'all aren't riding motorcycles, you're not paying attention to motorcycle riders. I'm sorry. I drive as if every person is trying to kill me. Because... Once or twice a week, someone does try to kill me. And if I'm not paying attention, I'm going to get nailed. Now, in our class, what they showed you, there's two types of crashes they talked about. Now, so you're cruising down, and one of the crashes they talk about is you go into a turn, and it's fun to lean into turns. It's awesome to lean into turns. So you're leaning into a turn, and if you're not careful, you'll have a low side crash. You lean into that turn, and it's just like the bike slides out from under you. And you kind of go sliding across the, the road and you get road rash. It's painful. And it may tear up your bike a little bit. And, and it's, it's actually pretty painful, but it's more embarrassing than anything. It's usually not life-threatening. Now, there's something else called a high side crash. That's when you're coming into the corner and you got too much speed and the bike actually catches. And instead of laying down here, it flips you off and, and flips you off. It, it throws you off. Wow. Didn't think that one through. It throws you off. And, and it's much more violent, and it actually can be deadly. It does a lot of damage to your bike, and it could kill you. I think a lot of people here have had some high side crashes. I mean, you have flat out blown it. And, and you think that God can't use you. But I want to show you a story from Scripture today where one of the most famous people in the Bible had a high side crash. And he decided that God was done with him. That God could never use him again because he had this big public crash. Everybody saw him, saw it happen. And he thought his whole life with God was done. He thought that God could never use him again. And in his power, God couldn't have. But God showed some power and did some amazing things in his life. And he became a champion for Christ. His name is Peter. Many of you know this story. Peter's life reveals three things that I want you to get today. Because I want to talk to you today about how do you begin again. How do you start over when you've had a high side crash and you feel like God can't use you again. So he's going to show us some things. So I want you to pay attention if you want to know how to begin again. First lesson is I have to learn from my crashes. When a biker falls... They need to get back up, get on the bike, but they need to learn from what they did wrong or they're going to make the same mistake again. Get up, dust yourselves off, and do it again. Now, write this down. This is the next thing. Everybody fails in life. You've got just everybody fails on your listening guide or if you're on um, version. Everybody fails. But here's the thing. Not everybody learns from their mistakes. Peter was one of the original members of Jesus' team. And in fact, Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter, which means rock. What happened was Jesus talking to his disciples and he said, okay, he was, was a little test. He'd been with them for a long time. He'd been teaching little test. And he says, okay, who do people say that I am? And people were very impressed with Jesus. Thousands and thousands of people would walk. They would carry people who were sick and diseased and, and needed to be healed. And, and they came to listen to him teach. And they had this high impression of Jesus. And he said, who do people say that I am? And people said, man... Some folks say you're Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. John the Baptist, man, that's way up there. Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So the people had a very high view of Jesus Christ, just not high enough. Because they were all comparing him to a man. 
to just a mere man. And then Jesus said, okay, who do you say that I am? And Peter goes, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You don't get any higher than the son of God. There is no such thing as a higher being than the son of God. And, and Jesus looks at him, he goes, you're exactly right, Peter. I'm not going to call you Simon anymore. I'm going to call you Peter because you're going to be, you're going to help spread this foundational truth. The foundational truth is the son of God became a man, died on the cross to save us from our sins. And he said, Peter, you're going to, I'm going to call you rock. I'm going to call you Rocky. That's where the theme started. I already messed up and played that for you earlier. So it kind of blew up. So that is a totally lame joke. So just cut that off. That was totally my fault, so, okay. Lame, lame, lame. All right, but you'll remember it. I don't care. I'll be lame if you remember the sermon. So I made that part up, but the rest is true. Jesus changed his name to Rock, and, and the Rock Man did some incredible things, but I actually think the Rock Man, this is my opinion, I think he got cocky in the succeeding years because some stuff happened. Um, in fact, he felt so good about himself, he got overconfident because on the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, Jesus calls everybody together. They have the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. And Jesus says, guys, you're about to face the most difficult assignment that you could ever imagine. The road is going to be worse than anything you can imagine. And he said, in fact, every one of you, he's telling his closest followers, every one of you is going to crash. And Peter goes, oh, no, not me. These other chumps, they may fail you, Lord, but not me. I will be with you at the finish line. If it causes me my life, I will be with you at the finish line. And Jesus says, Peter, Peter, rock man, Rocky. You're going to deny you know me three times before this night is over. Peter just could not believe that. And so right after his crash, I want you to see what happens. This is in Luke chapter 22, verse 60. But Peter said, this is the third time, man, I don't know what you're talking about. He was asking, aren't you the one who's been with Jesus? You speak like him, you talk like him. I do not know the man. Look what it says. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And this had to be the hardest moment of Peter's life because it says, and at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered that the Lord had said, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. You know what the scripture says that Peter did? He ran away. And cried bitterly, heaving sobs. Now, I don't believe that Jesus looked at him at all with condemnation. The condemnation that Peter felt was internal. There was guilt. There was shame. There was utter disappointment in himself. Because he didn't even last 12 hours from when he boasted, I'll die for you, Jesus. And he wept bitterly. And I think that some of you here today are right there. I think there's shame. I think there's bitterness. I think there's disappointment in yourself because you've made some really bad choices. And you think that God can't use you. Jesus didn't say a word to him, but his look convicted him. Now, there's a difference between conviction and guilt. Conviction is okay because we come to God and He forgives us. Guilt is something that will kill us. But I, I think that God has a word for you today. Those of you who are in the midst of a, of a crash and you feel like you can't be used. Because of the cross, your failures are not final. Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to resurrect your life, you do not have to be defined by your crash, by your failure. 
We have a God of the second chance, and he wants to give you the power to begin again. That's what he did for Peter. But to begin again, okay, pay attention. To begin again, you're going to have to take hold of something, and you're going to have to let go of something. So let me tell you the first thing you're going to have to take hold of. You've got to take responsibility for your failures. I have to own my failures. Proverbs 28, 13. This is an awesome verse in the, in the Living Bible translation. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. When I admit my mess-ups, I get a second chance. When I take responsibility for my failures, I don't blame others. God forgives me and I get a second chance. Now, ha- how you handle this This principle, number three, this learn humbly, will determine whether you get stuck in failure or whether you succeed in life. I know lots of people who never learn, and they are labeled failures because they keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again. But I've never once seen a person who confessed their sins to God, who God didn't raise them up and give them a second chance and use them for something powerful in the kingdom. And y'all know, we were talking about this at our men's study this morning. Our society plays the blame game. It's not my fault. This happened, so I did that. They did this, I did that. But it's not my fault, it's their fault. Blaming others for your mistakes is a sign of immaturity. It's time we grow up and we own those things. Peter was a proud guy. Peter argued with the other disciples over who was the greatest in the kingdom of God. Jesus is walking on ahead of them. I'm better than you because I got to go up here and I'm better than you. The disciples are arguing who's best. And Jesus calls them again. And he goes, what were y'all saying? Nothing. Nothing. He goes, let me tell you something, guys. In the world, they argue about petty little stuff like that. But in the kingdom, it's not like that. You own your own problems. Quit blaming others. And here's the amazing thing with Peter. God restores him. He preaches the first sermon in Jerusalem after Jesus' resurrection, after, the, after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and all this. He preaches, preaches the first sermon and 3,000 people got saved and were added to the church that day. From utter high side crash failure in front of everybody to standing up in the very place where they crucified Jesus. You know what made the difference from that? He saw the risen Jesus. He saw the resurrected Christ and it rocked his world. The resurrected Christ restored him. So before, I can, uh, before God can use me, I have to get rid of all my pride. Because he won't use me when I'm prideful because then he can't get the glory for what goes on in my life. If I'm full of myself, I get the glory for what I do. If I'm empty and full of Christ, then I point everyone to Christ. So you're right in the middle of a pain, of a crash, and I want you to know that God has a place for you. If you're totally broken, that's actually a good place to be. Because what did, what did Peter say? Uh, or, he said, when, when I am... No, what did Paul say? He said, when I am weak, then I am strong. So if you're in a totally broken place, you're right where God wants you today because now He can do some amazing things in your life. He has to wait until you get that place of brokenness and our pride is wiped out from the crashes in our lives. That's why he allows pain to remind us. So before I can get a second chance, I have to own, I have to hold on to something, but I've also got to let go of something. Third thing is I've got to let go of my guilt. After a rider crashes, they tell you to get back up and get on it again so you can overcome your fear. 
Well, here's the thing. I think some of you today think that you've gone so far off track from God that you can't possibly get back to God. And and I just have a, a, a message from God for you today. He always will give you a second chance if you'll admit that you have issues, if you'll admit your problems. It's not over because we have a God of a second chance. After God, after Jesus was raised from the dead, the angel was at the tomb and some women came and they found him. And here's what they said. The, the angel said to the women, Mark 16, 7. But go tell his disciples and who? Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. I love this. Because Peter is the one who thinks he can't be used again. I've blown it so badly, nobody's going to pay attention to me, nobody's going to listen to me. And so the angel goes, hey, go tell all of his followers and don't forget about Peter. Hey, go tell his followers and be sure you tell Peter, hey, dude, you still have a place in the kingdom. You still have a place on the team. And so I, I just feel like I need to tell some of you today, God still has a place for you. Hey, Chad. God still has a place for you. Go, go tell his followers and John, God still has a place for you. Go tell his followers and Jesse, God still has a place for you. Go tell his followers and anyone who's blown it, who still is a child of God, he has a place for you in the kingdom because he's a God of the second chance. Today, God's saying he wants to give you the power to begin again. But before you, before you can do that, you have to own your own responsibility And you have to let go of the guilt. Guilt will blind you to God's vision for your life. Some of you think you have no future because you're so blinded by your guilt. I'm going to show you a video in a couple of weeks. It's it's kind of a video of this story. But I heard this. I think um, some of you have heard of Joshua Harris. He wrote the book, uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And he's written several things. Um, And he wrote a a thing called The Room. And I'm going to read it to you. And I want you to listen to, he had this kind of vision of of how his encounter with Jesus would go. And here's, here's what he wrote down. He said, I dreamed I found myself in the room. I want you to picture this. There were no distinguishing features except for one wall covered with small index card files. Without being told, I knew exactly where I was. This lifeless room with these small files was a crude catalog system for my whole life. Here was written the actions of my every moment, big and small. In a detail, my memory couldn't match. The titles ranged from the mundane to the outright weird. Books I had read, lives I, uh, lies I had told, comfort I had given, jokes I had laughed at, a lot of things I wasn't proud of, like things I'd done in my anger, people I had judged, things I've muttered under my breath. And when I came to a file marked lustful thoughts, I felt a chill run through my body. I drew out a card and I shuddered at its detailed content. I felt sick that such a moment had been recorded. One thought dominated my mind. No one must ever see these cards. No one must ever see this room. I have to destroy them. I became desperate and pulled out a card to destroy it, only to find it as strong as steel when I tried to tear it. Defeated and utterly hopeless, I returned the file to its slot and then tears came. I fell on my knees and I cried. I cried out of shame from the overwhelming shame of it all. But then as I pushed away the tears, I saw him. There was Jesus reading every card. I couldn't bear to watch his response. And then the moments I could bring myself to look at his face, I saw a sorrow deeper than my own. Starting at the end of the room, he took out a file and one by one began to sign his name over mine on each card. The name of Jesus covered mine. It was written with blood. 
I don't think I'll ever understand how he did it so quickly, but the next instant, it seemed, I heard him close the last file and walk to my side. He placed his hand on my shoulder and he said, It is finished. I stood up and he led me out of the room. There was no lock on its door. There were still blank cards to be written on. And I guess that's what I want you to hear today. Is there blank cards for your life that that God still wants to write on? And the biggest thing I want you to hear is your past does not have to define your future. But you need the power of God to change. We're uh, in our men's study, we're, we're looking back at our lives and we're figuring out some things that have impacted us, made us who we are today. And we're about to embark on this journey of, of not only discovering, but having a plan to be the men God wants us to be, to have this map that we can follow to be the men God wants us to be. And, and guys, it's not too late to come to that study. I know it's not convenient and all that stuff, but you can jump in at any time. It's one of the most significant things that I've ever done as a Christian man learning about my past, but now defining a different future that I don't have to be defined by my mistakes, by my parents' mistakes, by my grandparents' mistakes. They do not have to define who I am because of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and the resurrection from the dead. God's taken away all of our sins and mistakes and failures, and when I own up to those, then He gives me the second chance. So the fourth thing you need to do, last thing you need to do, is pursue God's path. How to begin again, you got to pursue God's path. If what you're doing isn't working, do something different. How often do we talk about this? Get on a new path. Try God's path. Psalm 119.32 says, I run the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Following, this is the thing people don't understand. They think this book is a book of restrictions to, to keep you from experiencing a great life. Let me ask you this way. Is a runway restrictive to a jet plane? Where's the smartest plane for a jet plane to take off or land? A runway or Highway 155? I don't want to see the jet plane coming down on 155 when I'm riding out there. Right? So to say that this is a restrictive book is a little bit narrow-minded because this book actually sets you free. When we fly into Haiti, there's really only one place to land in Haiti. And I want it to be on the big honking runway in between the mountains, just over the edge of the ocean. I don't want to go anywhere else. And when it lands there, it fulfills its purpose. When you follow God's plans, you get on His path, you will fulfill the reason that He made you. The reason that you exist in 2012 in Palestine, Texas. You have a reason to be here. I want to help you discover that reason. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. And I want to ask you to think about this. I want, I want you to ask God, where am I in this whole process? Am I in the middle of a crash? Am I about to have a crash that I don't even see coming? Am I coming out of a crash? Ask God where you are right now.
just kind of curious, keep your heads bowed if you would. If you feel like you failed so much that God can't use you, would you look at me for a second? Just hold eye contact and I'll acknowledge you. I see. Anyone else? There's a lot of you that feel that way. If you were the only one, God would have died for you. Jesus would have died on the cross if you had been the only one. And His power is greater than your failure. Please listen to the story of Peter and realize you can begin again. The rest of you, I want you just to to ask God where you are in the process. Do you need to learn from your crash? Do you need to take responsibility for your failures? You've been blaming other people. Do you need to let go of your guilt? Or do you just need to pursue God's path? Which one is it? Ask him. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask that you take your message, your words, and you apply it to the hearts of these people today. We have folks that feel that they can't be used because they feel that their crash is just too big. It's just too painful, too messy. And yet your word is filled with people that you... The heroes of the faith were people who failed mightily. On the biggest stage, and yet you restored them whenever they confessed their sins. Whenever they humbled themselves. So, Father, would you raise up some people today? Maybe they don't even know what it is that's causing them to feel the way they do. Bring that to their minds and bring, bring someone to mind that they can confess that to. And then, Lord, start showing us your path. Start today as we go out into the neighborhood Such a simple thing to go clean up a park. Get ready for a festival coming up in a couple of weeks. Take a few hours out of our day to serve. I have a feeling that that some of us are going to leave that time being filled with your Holy Spirit because we did something in the name of Christ and it just made us feel valuable. Multiply that feeling as we leave this place in Jesus' name. Amen.